0: For Stone Happy ending Nice and tidy It's a rule I learned in school Get your money Every Friday Happy ending up those in dark do- This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, June the 26th, 2012, and it's still LGBT month. I got, well, at least three this month, maybe four, let's see. Anyway, I want to stay with the the great writers and thinkers because all of us well, those of us who think about these things realize that an artist is always androgynous, to one degree or another. What Virginia Woolf calls man womanly or woman manly—you know, uh, the whole person. Uh, I think a lot of people are confused. They think that an androgynous means, you know, that you're hermaphrodite. No, 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 no. It's it's more, more of a person uh you know there's nothing more boring than writers who are strictly masculine or strictly feminine you know whole oh, um last week, I talked about Oscar Wilde and the week before that Gertrude Stein, and I barely got off the ground and then, oh Lord, I thought there are just too many, too many to list um uh you know how that goes. Um, gosh, Audrey Lord, Judy Grant, Juna Barnes, uh, all those Bloomsbury people and the Harlem Renaissance people, and, uh, oh gosh, I guess some people do fall over into the heterosexual emphasis. Who knows? Well, no, no, let's see, Andre Gide and Tennessee Williams and uh Genet, and Sappho, and most of the ancients, and Carson McCullers, I think they would all identify as gay. A friend of mine told me years ago that uh, uh, some of my books were in the gay section of the San Francisco <laughs> library, and I thought, oh dear, I better fix that. Uh, I was going to say, uh, God knows, um, Perhaps there's still time, although I'm pushing 80, but <laughs> I think, yes, if uh, if such an event should occur, if I should find myself uh, tangibly part of the gay community, I will alert the media at once. Anyway, uh, this week, uh, this week, I wanted to go back to Gertrude and Oscar. I was delighted, uh, affirmed. This week, when Tavis Smiley and Cornell West talked about Oscar Wilde on their show, they even read the work that I used last week, um, De Profundis*, the great essay or letter that Oscar Wilde wrote in prison. All of his delightful, uh, light-hearted work was behind him, and he wrote this letter, to his lover, the young Lord Alfred Douglas Bosie, the young man who had got him into all the trouble that got him two years in prison for the love that dare not speak its name for sodomy. Uh, Those of you who are familiar with Oscar Wilde know that uh, this young man used Oscar Wilde to do battle with his father, uh, the Marcus of Queensbury, <laughs> the the mega masculine, megalomaniacal maniacal um, uh, dude, uh, Oscar is of opinion in De Profundis that uh, this young man, young Lord Douglas, uh, hated his father more than he loved Oscar, and that this was the tragic flaw, the problem. Uh, who knows who knows there is as I said last time i think some self pity in De profundis, but basically what's important about this uh this what would you call it um uh i would call it um oscar's oscar's uh what is it it's it's his his statement of what life is all about I'm sure we could say it better than that, but uh What Cornel West loves about this uh, essay is that Oscar compares the life of Christ to the life of the artist. And, of course, Cornel West says he's often taken to task for being a uh, convinced or, um, what is that? Well, he, he practices Christianity with a whole heart. And, uh, of course, some intellectuals find this to be a problem. (laughs) I don't know. I guess, what is it? I guess it is a problem. I don't know why it's so difficult for some people to uh, think in terms of a metaphor. I'm sure everyone can find other names for God. Uh, In any case, uh, it's exhausting, and I do want to... Jump into Oscar Wilde, but this week I, I tried. I was trying to distill Oscar Wilde and Gertrude Stein and these people who really are after what I would call, uh, is it the miracle, the magic, the higher self? What is it? Gertrude always said, uh, "Genius is what happens when you're looking for a way out." Right, you know, she just declared herself a genius, and so did Oscar. And then they they ran away from the, uh, let's call it the the social, the social, um, what what is it? The meanness that surrounded them. Uh, Gertrude, um, let's see, she was born eighteen seventy four. Oscar is a generation earlier. He died at the turn of the century, and. Uh, you sort of picked a bad time <laughs> to to um, run in the face of the british literary establishment i i don 't know i I think maybe he was he was reckless um, I think he should have kept his eyes on the prize this week i couldn't I just couldn 't get my mind around some of it. I was just distracted by all of the socio-political madness of our own time, and I kept thinking that there must be something, uh, something about what's happening now that needs fixing. We should put that first, and I watched an HBO show called Newsroom, and I thought, what would Oscar Wilde think of this effort, this (laughs) this, this attempt at satire, this attempt to mock, the uh, media culture of our time, yes. Uh, 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 I read uh, a little bit of the importance of being earnest, and I thought, no, 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 no. Newsroom is not a good satire. Uh, it's a kind of show that tries to tell us that things were better back when things were worse. Um, they keep sticking in little... little. Um, Oh, little lectures about how uh, America used to be a nice place to live. Oscar Wilde would never have been that foolish. He doesn't say that English society was ever noble or idealistic. Uh, newsroom was a serious disappointment for me. I, I thought maybe, maybe, that what's left of the left had come up with a decent satire uh, Never mind. Newsroom is on HBO. It's all about a news anchor who's mad as hell and about his ex-girlfriend who isn't going to take it anymore. Uh, the filmmakers, Aaron Sorkin, you know, he did the social network. Um, and the one about uh, Zuckerman. Uh, I, I've forgotten that one. I, I saw uh, none of this stuff seems to me in any way original. The worst thing about newsroom is that what they do is they resurrect the, uh, the recent past. You know, it, it's fun for media junkies. Uh, it, it tries to show us how noble media people, news people coulda, shoulda, woulda been if they had handled things properly. The first episode, it's a ten, ten hour series, uh, is all about that oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. You remember British Petroleum? <laughs> the, uh, I remember reading The Little Mermaid at the time. I actually lost sleep for weeks over that mess. What a terrible tragedy. Uh, anyway, um, Check out the review in The New yorker if you uh care about um, care about resurrecting satire the media uh <sighs> newsroom is all about the liberal elite and about making clever wise cracks sad 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 I don't know uh surely uh, witty intellectuals could turn a phrase better than. Uh well, there, I guess, fiddling while Rome burns. Uh, I kept thinking of Dorothy Parker, right? The mistress of mockery. Yes, Dorothy Parker could have done a good job uh, on today's media. <laughs> and, of course, she, she would know that Oscar Wilde uh, was, what do you call that, uh, the sort of mind that could handle it. Dorothy Parker writes, If, with the literate, I am impelled to try an epigram, I never seek to take the credit. We all assume that Oscar said it. (laughs) Anyway, I guess uh, the revolution will not be televised, and we're not going to make the world safe for satire. Uh, That demands real talent. I think these days... There's nothing left to do but to just state the facts over and over and over again. Uh maybe it's asking too much of today's writers. I think they're spread way too thin. Um uh, Newsroom actually might have been okay as a feature film, but uh 10 hours no way. Um uh, I I don't know what we can do with media, I guess. Bill Maher's show is about the best we have. Um, I quit watching Saturday Night Live years ago. Uh, I'm afraid that um, giving speeches about how cynicism is just proof of our shallow sensibility, you know, how cynicism comes when we're tired of being ashamed. Uh, Yeah, I I think we can just leave that to me. I don't think... uh, Television writer's going to handle it. Uh, I think if you want clever lines, uh, just curl up with the New Yorker, um, or they review the latest book on Barack Obama. There are excerpts from that book in the June issue of Vanity Fair. Uh, good stuff there. I'm afraid we've got to go back to print media if you want something that we can call... Uh, liberal thought. Uh, There's also a good article on the movie Hunger Games in the New Yorker. It's all about society's war on adolescence. Pity the teenager in today's world. You know, teenagers are either suffering martyrs or conquering heroes. Extremes of emotion. Uh, You sift through the mass media today and... uh, I don't find any effort to empathize with teenage youngsters um maybe maybe a few. the two boys on weeds some of the some of the shows um once again on the premium channels uh remember always that half of the teenagers in today's world, both on television and off, are female, and that these are the citizens who are going to give birth to the next generation and that what happens to them is going to happen to the world. Uh, they might need a little help. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm looking for the young people who have learned how to speak for themselves. Uh, there is a a wonderful tagline, the article on... Um, the new book about Obama, apparently the, uh, well, the, the question, Obama has reached the stage of life when he is able to ask a decent question. He, of course, has no answers, but he's able to ask the question, what have we done to create these hard-hearted kids? I would say, who broke their hearts, you know, who, who gave them a world? that has made them uh, so sad, so broken-hearted. Anyway, my gay literary saints know all about the need for empathy. Uh, From James Baldwin to... I'm trying to think who would be our living, our living gay saint. Maybe if you know... (laughs) Tony Kushner, I guess... Angels in America, there we go, that's the one. Tony Kushner, Angels in America, Perestroika, those plays. That's what we had in the new millennium, right? Anyway, Oscar Wilde was probably, what is it, the first of our gay celebrities. Profoundly humanist, if that's still the word, um Gertrude Stein was always misunderstood. I think of her as a lover. She talked about a lost generation, and people thought she was talking about the decadent world of jazz and booze and all that, and that was not what she meant at all. She said that her lost generation, she said she learned that phrase or expression from a a French... Hotel keeper he told her that the lost generation was all the young men who had been taken away from their families from women and sent off to war at the age you know say seventeen to twenty five in these strategic years when they needed to be tenderized and humanized and they were lost because the women in their lives had been taken away from them uh, From Timothy McVeigh on to the the most recent, uh, what would you call them, uh, psychopaths, sociopaths, they're all in the news. uh. You will also find in Gertrude Stein's story, Melanta, uh, all these profound emotional, uh, what would you call it, dysfunctional, Development. She writes over and over again about what happens to uh, the heart of the adolescent. Anyway, I just want to read you a couple of excerpts. Uh, now, in what is that? Gertrude <laughs> Stein. Uh, she she is what I would call the humorist. She sticks to uh, ask her in deep profundus is profoundly sad, whereas Gertrude, uh, Gertrude goes on, uh, what is the word, Uh, making fun of everything, and everyone, Uh, in Melantha, of course, Melantha is a black woman, in the late 19th century, and of course, uh, she dies in the end, because that was the, master narrative of that time, but uh, uh, (laughs) she is, what is that, suicidal, she is torn apart because she has a very dark-skinned father and a very light-skinned mother, and uh, her best friend is a woman called Rose uh, Johnson who is all black and therefore who has a whole soul. Ah, uh, no, yes, no pain. Rose Johnson is a individuated whole person. Here we go. Melantha. Melantha means black flower. Melantha told Rose one day how a woman whom she knew had killed herself because she was so blue. Melantha said sometimes she thought this was the best thing for her herself to do. Rose Johnson did not see it the least bit that way. "'I don't see, Melantha. Why, you should talk like you would kill yourself just because you're blue. I'd never kill myself, Melantha, just because I was blue.' I'd maybe kill somebody else, Melantha, because I was blue, but I'd never kill myself. If I ever killed myself, Melantha, it'd be by accident. And if I ever killed myself by accident, Melantha, I'd be awful sorry. (laughs) I remember being told by some uh, astute young feminists that Melantha is a bit racist. I have no idea. Uh well so is Porgy and Bess, I guess, but uh I like the rhythms and the rhymes about uh, well the uh, the passion. I think that uh if literature is the history of love, Melantha is what Gertrude Stein says it is, the beginning of modern fiction. F. Scott Fitzgerald carried a copy of it around with him. You can find it. In a book called Three Lives, it's three separate stories about women. One of them is the story of Melantha. Richard Wright loved it. Uh, He read it to some black construction workers and said that they recognized the characters. They roared with laughter over the language. Anyway, Uh, I think that Melanta is what we call a fatherless book. Hmm. Some critics insisted that Gertrude Stein was reading Flaubert when she wrote it. <laughs> Nonsense. If you're only going to read one book, one small work of Gertrude Stein's, check out Melanta. Here we go. Let's go back to Oscar. Oh, I've run out of time so fast. This is just a bottomless pit, dear Oscar. He wrote, women, women have a much better time than men in this world. There are so many more things forbidden them <laughs> and then oh my my favorite on women by Oscar he says All women become like their mothers. That is their tragedy. No man does. That's his <laughs> I think that's in uh, the importance of being earnest. And some productions I've seen that cut. I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know why they always cut the best stuff. Uh, Anyway, uh, let me grab deep profundus here because it's funny. I have a lot of trouble with Oscar Wilde. When I try to read his fairy tales for children, I just break down and cry. His first big success with the fairy tales was The Happy Prince, you know the one about the the little sparrow who takes the gold and the jewels off a statue and gives it to the poor the little bits and pieces until the statue of the little prince is uh, just drab and dull but of course ah uh, yes the little broken-hearted sparrow lies at the feet of the the foot of the statue and uh, it is dead there because it's exhausted from having done the The work of Christ, yes. Uh I think I read a little bit of the introduction to my complete works of Oscar here. The introduction in my copy is by uh Oscar's son, Vivian Holland, written long, long ago. Uh as I told you last week. The uh, sons and the wife of Oscar Wilde changed their name. They went back to mother's maiden name, Holland. And the grandson has not yet decided to go back to the name Oscar Wilde. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Here's Oscar writes. He says, The 19th century dislike of realism is the rage of Taliban seeing his own face in a glass. Then he says, the 19th century dislike of romanticism is the rage of Caliban not seeing his own face in a glass. <laughs> his point, of course, is that um, art reveals the spectator more than it uh, reveals the artist. I don't know. Uh, so interesting, the psychodrama. Psychodrama, yes. Take your friends to the theater or to the movies and you will discover who they are very often. It's a great mistake. Um, Here's another. Oh, Oscar, yes. I used Oscar's lines here for my own memoir. All right, my favorite epigraph is from The Harlot's House. Oscar Wilde Long, from The Harlot's House, we watched the ghostly dancers spin to sound of horn and violin like black leaves wheeling in the wind. Uh, Here in Deep Profundus, Oscar writes that uh, it is tragic how few people ever possess their souls before they die nothing says Emerson is more rare in any man than an act of his own it is quite true says Oscar most people are other people their thoughts are someone else's opinion their life a mimicry their passions a quotation ouch there we go that's it Well, we start with, what is that, uh, the words of other people, and at some point, maybe we speak for ourselves. I guess that is the goal of any writer, finding her own voice. Uh, Oscar Wilde goes on to say, Christ was not merely the supreme individualist, but he was the first in history. People have tried to make him out just an ordinary philanthropist, like those dreadful philanthropists of the 19th century, or they ranked him as an altruist, with the unscientific and sentimental. But he was really neither one nor the other. Oscar goes on to say that uh, Christ had pity, of course, uh, for those who suffered, those who were shut up in prisons and who were wretched, but... Christ, he says, had far more pity for the rich, for the hard hedonists, and for those who waste their freedom in becoming slaves to things, for those who wear soft raiment and live in the houses of kings, riches and pleasure, seemed to him to be really greater tragedies than poverty and sorrow. Well, I think he's got a point, yes. Wilde goes on to say, as for altruism, who knew better than Christ that it is vocation, not volition, that determines us? And that one cannot gather grapes off thorns, or figs from thistles. That's a terrific line about figs from thistles. It's the line Edna St. Vincent Millay used for her title, her wonderful book of poems called A Few Figs from Thistles. This has been Jennifer Stone talking to you about the gay writers uh, who have given us the literary world uh, in which some of us live at least, at least 23 hours a day. I'll be back on the air next week at this same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Boys, there's your picture. This is Brian Edwards-Teekert, very excited to be working on Upfront, weekdays at 7 a.m. with a talented team. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. Each morning we bring you the latest from the streets of Oakland to the halls of the state capitol, from Los Angeles to Afghanistan. We deliver in-depth analysis, hard-hitting interviews and debates on the issues that affect our lives. And I'm Eileen Alfandari working with the KPFA News Team to bring you breaking news from across the state, the region and the world. We'll keep you updated on the latest throughout the morning on KPFA. It's Upfront, a statewide collaboration that brings you information that Matters. That's every weekday morning at 7 a.m. right after Democracy Now! Keep it locked to KPFA 94.1 FM in the Bay Area.